able to gather together like this. We thank you for how whenever two or three are gathered in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, you are here with us, in the midst of us. Help us as we contemplate your word this morning to become more aware of your presence, to hear your voice, and to see your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11. This morning we're going to let this encounter between Jesus and John the Baptist teach us about prayer. I'm going to make five observations about prayer that I see emerging through this story. Observation number one, and this is really super obvious, prayer is very simply turning to Jesus. The story begins with John the Baptist in prison. He was arrested shortly after he was, he was in, the, in the wilderness, and he, after he baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. And while he was in prison, John's disciples tell him what Jesus had been doing, but John wasn't sure about Jesus' identity, and so he sent his disciples to ask Jesus this question, are you the one who is to come? In other words, are you the promised Messiah, or should we expect someone else? Why did John have doubts? Because John expected the Messiah to rise up against sin and evil and oppression. Remember what we heard last week through Pastor Michelle. She opened up this passage for us. And if you have a chance to listen to it online, I recommend it highly. In Matthew 3, John was given a very clear message from God to proclaim to Israel. The axe is already at the root of the trees And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John expected the removal of everything that did not line up with the kingdom of God. He expected judgment. He expected the chaff to be burned up. But instead, the chaff has thrown him into jail. John's expectation of the Messiah and John's experience of the Messiah did not line up. Can anyone relate No wonder he asked the question, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now, notice how John, he's wrestling with who Jesus is, but instead of turning away from Jesus, he turns to Jesus with the question. And this is really the essence of prayer. Prayer is turning to Jesus with our questions. It's turning to Jesus in the midst of our struggles. It's turning to Jesus and being honest with him about what's going on inside of us. Perhaps you can identify with John the Baptist. There are times when it feels like we're in prison. There are times when 
our image of Jesus does not line up with our experience of Jesus, and there are times when we doubt. Is Jesus really who the scriptures say he is? Or should we place our hope in someone or something else? Lord, we thought that you were all about healing and restoration and new life. Why all this sickness and chaos and death? John models for us how to pray even when it hurts. Whatever you're going through right now, bring it to Jesus. This is what prayer is all about. Observation number two, when we turn to Jesus, he reveals himself. This was John's experience. He called out to Jesus in his struggle, in trying to understand, and Jesus responds. In verse 4, Jesus says to the disciples of John, go back and tell John what you hear and see. When we turn to Jesus, he speaks to us, and he shows us what he's doing. What did Jesus tell John's disciples to report back to him? The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is, good news is preached to the, to the poor. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 35, almost word for word. The Spirit of God had prompted the prophets of the time when God himself, the living God, the creator, the God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when he would come and there would be healing and restoration and new life. Isaiah 35, 5, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sing for joy. The water shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. John asks, are you this one who is to come? Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. In other words, yes, John, I am the living God in the flesh. God's spirit anointed king whom you have been waiting for. I've come to usher in God's reign and rule. What I am doing reveals who I am. Blessed are they who do not fall away on account of me. When we turn to Jesus and listen to him, something miraculous happens within us. The eyes of our hearts are opened and we believe. Faith comes through hearing the word. Observation number three, Jesus intercedes for us and then he reveals who we are. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus then turns to the crowd and he starts speaking to them about John. He asked the crowd a series of questions. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? The answer is no. John was sturdy as a rock. What did you go out into the desert to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. John's clothes were made of camel's hair with a leather belt. Those who wear fine clothes live in royal palaces. Then what did you go out into, into the wilderness to see? A prophet. Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who prepare the way before you. Notice how Jesus points to the good in John. He doesn't take him down for doubting. He doesn't point out all his mistakes. Jesus sees John for who John really is, and he honors John before others. This is an example of how Jesus intercedes for us. 
Back in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the author describes Jesus as our great high priest. He writes, he is able to completely save those who come to God the Father through him because he always lives to intercede for them. The reason prayer works is because Jesus Christ is alive. He's seated on the throne of the universe as our representative before God and God's representative before us. The cross is his finished work and intercession is his ongoing work. Theologian Alan Stibbs put it like this, Jesus' finished work on the cross and his ongoing work of intercession are a lot like motherhood. The act of giving birth is necessary in order to become a mother, but giving birth is only the first stage of motherhood. Once the baby's born, then a mother continues the work of raising the child. And in a similar way, the cross was necessary in order for Jesus to become our high priest. The cross was the first state of Jesus' priesthood. Now that his work on the cross is finished, Jesus continues to work by interceding for us. To intercede is to assist someone who is in need. To intercede is to help someone who cannot help themselves. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, helping us. And when we look to him, we see who we really are. Look at verse 11. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John is great, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater. How can this be? Because Jesus is greater than John, and those who believe in Jesus are united to Jesus by the Holy Spirit, and Jesus then shares his greatness with us. When Jesus looks at you, he focuses on the good. Jesus thinks you're great. Not because of anything that you've done or haven't done, but because you belong to him. You are part of his body. You are a beloved child of God. You are set apart as holy. You are complete in him. You are free from condemnation. You are a citizen of heaven. You are God's workmanship. You are who Jesus says you are. When we pray, Jesus not only reveals himself to us, he reveals who we are. And this is how we grow spiritually. If there is some way that you are longing to change, it's good to be aware of it, but try not to focus on it directly. Rather, focus on Jesus who reveals who you are, and over time, as you listen to who he says you are, you will become who he says you are. Observation number four. When we pray, expect trouble. Look at verse 12. There are two common ways of translating this verse, and they have two very different meanings, but both interpretations help us learn to pray. The first translation would be, from the days of John the Baptist until now, 
the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent people are trying to wipe it out. It's sort of a paraphrase. As Jesus spoke these words, John the Baptist was experiencing violence. He was in prison and he would soon be executed by Herod. Violence was the experience of the 12 apostles. In Matthew 10, Jesus gave specific instructions about when they go into mission. He shared his authority with them to preach and heal and cast out demons, but he also warned them that they would experience trouble. He said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in the synagogues. All men will hate you because of me. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Eventually, the 12 apostles would suffer violent deaths. Jesus himself, we know, is tortured and crucified. Paul suffered violence. We know that he was stoned, he was beaten with whips, he was imprisoned multiple times, he went hungry, he was attacked by wild animals, he was shipwrecked. Tradition holds that he was eventually beheaded in Rome. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Paul explains, anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. All throughout history, this word has proved true. Violence and persecution are to be expected when we go on trusting Jesus. Now, today, we, we might not experience the kind of physical violence that they did or, or do in certain parts of the world today, especially living here in Ottawa. But if we are serious about trusting Jesus, then guaranteed we are going to experience spiritual attack at least. Every time I get serious about prayer and seek the Lord's face, life has a way of getting even more difficult than it already is. Problems seem to erupt in my home. Uh, tensions build in my relationship my relationships, especially those that I'm the closest to, and temptations become even more intense. Why does this happen? Because the evil one does not want us to pray, and he will do everything in his power to try to distract and discourage us from trusting Jesus. Samuel Chaddock said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. Don't be surprised if things get more difficult when you become serious about prayer. And this leads leads to observation number five, which also comes from verse 12. Be persistent in prayer. We can translate verse 12 like how we read it in the NIV version. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. In other words, we experience the kingdom of heaven when we are forceful and persistent in prayer. This truth permeates all scripture, especially the gospels. The the living God responds when we continue to seek him and don't give up. Think of the four friends who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus on a mat through the roof of a house. They couldn't get through the large crowd blocking the doors, so they forced their way in, and Jesus responds to their act of faith by healing the man. 
Or think of the woman who had a hemorrhage of blood for 12 years. She spent all her money on doctor's bills. She was alone and desperate. She was considered ceremonially unclean and was not permitted to touch anyone. But when when she saw Jesus, she forced her way through the crowd, touched the hem of his garment, and she was instantly healed. Or think of blind Bartimaeus. He's sitting on the side of the road. He hears that Jesus is coming and he begins to shout out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. The disciples in the crowd, they try to silence him, but he forcefully keeps calling out until Jesus responds and opens his eyes. The kingdom of God advances by forceful people who lay hold of it. Jesus himself teaches us to be forceful in prayer. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Then Jesus uses the analogy of a generous father to describe the character of his father. If your son asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? No. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now we know from experience that sometimes the Father does not give us what we ask, even when we are persistent. I'm sure we all know people, or maybe you are experiencing the pain of unanswered prayer. I can imagine John the Baptist crying out to God to be set free, but God did did not set him free. And eventually, John would be executed for doing what was right. Why does God allow John the Baptist and so many others to experience such tragedy and loss? I think that way sometimes. But then... I remember the cross. Jesus died in our place. Jesus put death to death and rose to new life. Death no longer has a hold on us because the one who conquered the grave is on the other side waiting to welcome us into eternal life. And we will see him face to face and be reunited to our loved ones and receive complete healing of our bodies and our minds. Even now, Jesus waits for us to turn to him in prayer. He has something to say to us. He longs to share his presence with us. In his presence, we begin to experience healing now, mostly on the inside, but sometimes we are healed on the outside. This past week, On the Alpha course, the topic was, does God heal today? According to Nikki Gumbel, the answer is yes, God heals today. Why does God continue to heal us? Because he loves us. It's that simple. God wants the best for us, even in the midst of our trouble, even in the midst of all that we're going through. It is the love of God being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit that is the greatest healing of all. We are to be persistent in pursuing Jesus because in him 
we experience God's transforming love. Without the cross and resurrection of Jesus, we look at death and we're afraid. We live our lives afraid. We become skeptical, wanting to control our situation. We tend to impose our fears onto others. A fearful imagination would see John the Baptist in prison, suffering, doubting God's goodness, complaining about his his situation and how unfair life is. But when we exercise our faith in the cross and resurrection of Jesus and know that we have been rescued from death and now we have been brought into this relational intimacy with God through Christ, there is nothing to fear except Jesus. We revere and adore him because of who he is and what he has done. This is how an imagination that is exercising faith would see John in prison. We would see him praising God for sending his son, the Messiah, into the world to save us from sin and evil and death. I imagine John dancing with joy in prison after Jesus confirmed his identity. We all have doubts from time to time, especially when we're suffering, but when we experience the love of God through Christ, we are given strength to overcome every obstacle. This is why we need to persist in prayer, not only for ourselves, but for others who are struggling. In our reading from James this morning, we read, is anyone in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Why? Because Jesus is alive. And he answers us when we call out to him. The more forceful and persistent we are in prayer, the more we experience God's power and presence and peace working in us and among us and through us. Prayer starts when we turn to Jesus. He longs to reveal himself to us and who we are in relation to him. When you pray, expect trouble, but know that you will overcome because Jesus will give you everything you need to overcome every obstacle as you persevere in turning to him. What is the implication that we can draw from these observations? Just one. Continue to pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. We cry out to you in our struggles. Won't you reveal yourself to us? Reveal who we are. Protect us from the evil one and all the stresses of life and help us to go on trusting you. We ask this in your holy name. Amen.